0: You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Tina Hodges, Chief Executive and Chief Experience Officer at Advanced Financial and President at Tennessee Action 24-7, an online sports betting company with fantastic customer service, which is very different from many of their competitors. Obsessed with employee and customer experience, Tina grew Advanced Financial to 1,400 employees across 100 locations and was named for eight consecutive years on Inc. Magazine's list of fastest growing privately owned companies. Tina was appointed to serve as board chair on the Volunteer Tennessee Commission. She's a member and supporter of numerous nonprofits and charitable organizations, both personally and through the Advanced Financial Foundation. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Tina discuss how to create a culture focused on both employee and customer experience in a tough industry, the zero risk concept, paid volunteering and other culture development systems, and advanced financials, pandemic experience and how to change employee mindset.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today, I'm very excited to have all the way from Tennessee, Tina Hodges. Tina, welcome.
2: Thank you very much for having me. Tina, so, so you were
1: referred from uh, John to Julius, who we've had on. And obviously, he's a customer service uh, focused and, and obsessive individual. And, and actually, I'm actually speaking at his conference, the customer service revolution in Cleveland in October. So I'm excited about yeah.
2: that. That's exciting. Uh, I'll see you there.
1: Yes, that's, that's right. We'll get to meet in person. Uh, and, and so so you're involved with Advanced Financial and Action uh, 24-7. Just tell us about your roles in those. And then I want to go back to Advanced Financial because I think that's where we'll probably live from a culture perspective. But tell us more about what you do in those companies.
2: Yeah, yeah. Advanced Financial is a consumer lending company, and we do loans in 14 states. Uh, we have a chain of retail stores in Tennessee, and that's where all of our employees are housed. So we have about 500 employees in Tennessee. Um, Action 24-7 is a new venture for me. Sports gambling became legal in Tennessee last year, and I opened one of the first four sports books in Tennessee. It's the only Tennessee-owned and operated sports book.
1: And is, are you old school? Like if someone doesn't pay, does someone show up with kind of a baseball bat and oh, a cigar? i
2: will go get them, you know. I, yeah, I kind of figure
1: that. I think I it, would pay if I owed.
2: I'd say, please. Okay,
1: thanks. That's yeah. oh, that's different. That's that that might work better actually. That's good. Yeah. So we were talking briefly before we started about obviously advanced financial being in a very tough space. And and when I say tough space, it's in a it, it does short term kind of payday type loans, correct?
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what some people call a grudge buy. You don't want to do it, but you need to.
1: And that industry is known for you know. Not treating people that well—it's known as a shark industry that just treats people poorly and charges them a lot of money. Um, is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's been the reputation—the unfortunate reputation of the industry for many years. Was that?
1: Yeah, and so so it sounds like you're you've been trying to build this new company with a new culture that provides a different client experience. Tell us more.
2: Right. We realized um, several years ago. Now you know this is our 25th anniversary. So for the first. 10 or 15 years, um, we were just running things by gut with not a real system in place. And we felt intuitively if we treat our employees well, they'll treat our customers well, and that'll just work. But we didn't really have a system behind how to make that happen. So as we got larger and larger, and my husband and I didn't know every employee anymore, that's when we realized we really needed to start writing down the systems that we were going to use to make our company different.
1: And so when you talk about systems, what, what, what has been the most impactful system that you've implemented and followed today? What's the most like, wow, if we didn't do this, we'd be no different than anybody else?
2: Yeah. In 2013, um, we decided that we were going to actually form an experience department. And I know a lot of large companies use the phrase customer experience to mean they're studying the online path of a customer or something like that. But that's not really what we meant. Um, So we hired an experience, one person, and then I became the chief experience officer. And we set out to document exactly the experience that we wanted our employees to have from recruiting all the way through 10 year anniversary and the exact experience we wanted our customers have Um, and so then we use that we train that we train our team on how we treat employees how we treat each other and we train on how we expect our customer experience to happen and if we hadn't done that and said this is your job to document and make sure we are ready to train everyone on this process i don't see how we could have made it to here
1: that's interesting. So so it was just looking at the or one of the, the, the strategies here was just looking at your employees like your customer, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we knew that happy employees would get us what we wanted. There were times when we lost sight of that. Um, in 2010, we decided we were going to open all of our retail stores 24 hours. And our employees that have been with us for many years looked at us like we were crazy. And they said... You, You're just asking us in in, with a two weeks notice to start working till midnight. This is ridiculous. And I think we were so excited about the growth and so excited that the customers loved it, that we just kept pushing and we lost many of our very valuable employees. And so it was that time in like 2011, 2012, when we realized we have to stop and get back to what we know works Um, And that's when we really started going out and looking for help. And that's when we met John um, and he helped us build our experience department and really helped us um, map out exactly what we wanted to do.
1: So, So from a system or mapping perspective, what did it look like and what does it look like? So if I was to join the company, what does that journey look like for me today that you're very proud of? What are the things that you've systemized that are like, oh, wow, like people are talking about it when they go home with their families or at the dinner table?
2: Yeah, so we have, um, we have a lot of culture training. I would say the bulk of the interviewing um, as far as, you know, everyone does some sort of testing, some sort of temperament scales and all those sorts of things. That's all geared toward service aptitude um, and things like that. We do very little testing on skills because we believe that as long as you can type um, and do some simple math, we can teach you everything else. Um, and really, once you get to work, you spend a lot of your first three weeks of training on culture and service, and then you learn how to do the job. And so I think that's different for a lot of people. They want to get right to it and start doing the work. Um, and so some people are like, well, when can I start doing this? Like after you learn the service. Uh, so I think that's a little different and it, it works really well.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, so, so it's the softer stuff and then the harder skills will follow. Mm-hmm. But what about that journey? What's it look like? What am I, you know, what are your employees talking about that they're excited about? That was a different, a very different experience. Cause I, I'm, I'm, it feels like there's, there's this delivery in how you do that. Or am I wrong? Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like?
2: Well, there, it's not any sort of secret sauce really. Um, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do for many years is I try to personally speak to every new hire class and greet every class um, from the recruiting Forward, you know, we really try to keep um, timelines that we've set for ourselves in our employee experience model to say we're going to call candidates back in a certain amount of time. We're going to give them an answer, an in person interview every time. Of course, I mean, COVID sort of interrupted a little bit of this, but you know, we try to stick to these standards so that by the time they start their first day of work, every candidate's had the same experience. They've had the same interview, they've had an opportunity to come in person, see the department where they're going to be working. Um, You know, and all of those. So so we have standards set out for every step of the way. So when they get to class, they realize they've all had the same experience up until now. And then, of course, they all come to Nashville to our headquarters for um, for training. And I think that's really it's different. A lot of people are just used to being in retail, especially said, "Okay, you're going to be working at store 48. Go over there. That's it. Mm. Um, And so they don't get to come together. We keep the classes together. Um, We have newbie nights for anyone that's been hired in the last 90 days, they get to come together with their new hire class and do things like go to baseball games or do escape rooms and things like that.
1: So it seems like there's consistency and 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 some experience stuff, but I still don't see how we're connecting, you know, how are you separating yourself from the pack cuz cuz fine, you someone does the soft skills and understands culture, but but Where's the um where is the look Ron welcome to this company you know do you tell stories about how customers have felt in the past like how how do you build this culture of um people who are compassionate and empathetic to the customer what yeah, part of so the onboarding what have, part of the training is that
2: Yeah so we have um the very first thing that happens people walk in sit down lights go off, video comes on and they see a day in the life at our company. And that's a video that we've made that is stories of actual customers. When we were um, thinking about making this video, uh, you know, people suggest you have to hire this team and do all this creative work. I said, I'm gonna email my managers and ask for customer stories. And I just emailed the managers, they wrote me back amazing stories of our actual customers and that's what we filmed. Um, And so it's stories that go through and tell the day and the life of our customers what you're going to see from sunup to sundown in one store. Um, And so they watch that and they get a better feel of not what's happening in the store, but who we're serving and how we serve. And so I think that makes a big difference to them. Um, Of course, it's to music and there's, you know, music, images, stories. I mean, that always gets people's minds more open. And then I come and talk to the class. We go over some of our service standards, which are our nevers and always things that we never want to do um, to each other or our customers and things we would always rather do instead. And we talk about those and we talk about why they're important to the company um, and let them guess like this is a never. What do you think an always would be? And so we go through that together. And I think it's really helpful for them. They get to ask questions as to why did you pick this? Why is it important to this company? And that's how they get to know the company as people, who the company is, not what the company does. And I think that that's very important.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So, so open dialogue back and forth, but sharing stories so they can really understand who the customer is, what makes them tick, be compassionate. I'm sure some of those are probably emotional stories.
2: Oh, yes, for sure, for sure. You know, we are helping people. Um, I was a nurse practitioner before this in an emergency room, and it's very similar very similar customer base. They have a need that needs to be met right now. People come to us because they have a two or $300 prescription and they can't fill it. Or they have a family emergency. Um, they have to go out of town for a funeral and they just don't, can't get new tires or all these sorts of things. And so they're in a bad situation. And we need to remember that uh, we're not just selling gum at Walgreens. Um, we're really getting uh, inside people's personal lives, and we need to take care and remember that.
1: Yeah. And so, what, what, what systems do you have to make sure that that's sustainable? So, I join the company, I do my soft stuff, learn the skills. And part of that is understanding the day in the life of the customer. How do we sustain that in your organization and advance financial? How is it sustained?
2: Yeah. So, we, I think that sustaining it is then switches to how you treat your employees and so things like when they get started we have newbie nights like I was saying they can get together talk to each other how's your training going how do you like your new location Um, we also have lots of different groups and teams and team sports and Uh, You know, bowling teams, softball teams, everything you can imagine. We were the city champs like four years in a row for basketball. Um, So we have lots of activities for people to do. We pay people 40 hours a year to volunteer. And so they're able to get together outside of work and serve their communities. And when they feel a part of something, then those those ways to treat the customer, that just comes naturally because they are feeling part of the culture because that's how they're being treated by their coworkers and their employers.
1: Yeah. I love that. And so, so, and is there a scoring, like what's the accountability? So that is the softer side of keeping it alive. What about driving accountability for that?
2: Yeah. So we do, as I mentioned before, we have some service standards. Um, It's our customer experience cycle and our employee experience cycle. And we grade ourselves on those. We have mystery shoppers Um, that visit our stores. We do telephone mystery shops and we do in-person mystery shops to make sure that just some of the fundamentals of Mr. Mrs. Please and Thank You, using the customer's name, always um, offering services, doing a recap, all the just sort of interaction standards are being met. Um, And then they have weekly team meetings, they role play, they listen to their own mystery shops um so that they can see what they did well and where they need to improve um and so they do get um that sort of hard scoring so even if you feel like you're doing it you actually get a scorecard also
1: what was the hardest thing about shifting from before to after what was the what what were some of the biggest roadblocks that you had to figure out as, as you were going through this process
2: the, the biggest one and one that I'm actually starting over right now at the sports book, because we have all new employees, it's changing the mindset of people.
1: So how do we do that? Um,
2: yeah, it takes a lot of time, a lot of role play, um, sometimes forced behavior until they learn to do it naturally. Um, one of the things that we're actually starting right now at the sports book, um, it, it's difficult to err on the side of the customer. And when you know the company's right, it's even more difficult because people have been taught by other employers or their parents or schools, whatever that, um, you know, whoever's right, that matters. Um, and sometimes it, sometimes it doesn't sometimes you need to just let the customer have what the customer needs right then and let it go. And so, um, People aren't used to doing that. People have not been told it's okay. People have been told, don't lose money for the company. Don't spend the company's money unnecessarily. And we have to train them. We want the customer to feel like they're winning. We want the customer to be satisfied. And if that means that technically we didn't do anything wrong, technically the system was right, maybe they didn't read something or whatever, it doesn't matter. If the customer brings it up and they bother to bring it up to us, make it right. Find out what the customer wants. Find out what would make it right to them and do it. And that's very unnatural to people. At one point, we had to tell people, you must use two personal note cards a week. You must. You must find two customers to write. And now those same people are like, I ran out of note cards. And they're just, they love writing their customers To say, I'm so glad I can help you today, Ms. Smith. I'm so glad. Let me know if you need anything else. And now, years later, they love that, but it's hard to get started because it's its against people's nature.
1: But uh, I'm curious, and it sounds like with this new company, we're bringing people on and then we're changing their perspective or beliefs. But, uh, but can we hack the system, uh, you know? why not look for people that have that belief coming in versus training them or or trying to change your perspective, which you're right, takes a lot more time.
2: Well, um, there's not very many of the people out there. And if there are, uh, many of them are happily employed at the Advanced Financials of the World or Costco or somewhere that does believe that because once people, um, and it's a great recruiting tool also, because once people, like-minded people, learn about your company, they will want to come there and say, I don't know what you do, but I moved here from Ohio, and I know that you have the same service standard as my old employer. We've even had people from um, a pizza franchise call and say, I'm relocating from Louisiana. I saw you guys at a customer service conference. I know we're like-minded, I know nothing about lending, but I'd like to be a regional manager there. And I knew that chain and I was like, absolutely. If you're a regional manager there, we can teach you. So you would love to have people that are like-minded, but you also want to give people the opportunity to learn and change because then those people really value you know we've got a lot of young guys in our sports book call center and they've never heard this before they've never heard identify your own weaknesses so that you know immediately responses to those you know that's what we call being zero risk if you identify the places where you drop the ball the most then you'll be ready with that service recovery when it happens and they just aren't used to that but there's gotta be
1: balance, right? Because I understand the concept of look, as long as you have the right attitude, we'll train the skills, but that only works for so high in the organization or, or at a certain <laughs> level, because at some point you can't do that with your CFO. You can't say, oh, come on here. And, and you, you like our culture and we'll train you how to be strategic about our financial situation. <laughs> you need yep. to learn from them, right? And so is that only work for part of the organization?
2: Well, it's, it has to be a balance. Um, you know, you have some skill sets like um, general customer service. And there's a lot of people with that skill set. A lot of those skills can be trained. So you have a service training and skills training balance. But then you might have, like you said, CFO or a higher level IT leadership. I can't teach anyone anything about IT, nothing. And so they have to come with both. And yeah, they need to. They need to be lot, experts. It takes a lot longer to recruit those positions. You have to have a good recruiter that knows you and knows your company. We've been using some of the same recruiters for about eight or nine years, and they know. Um, they know. Don't don't recruit for this company from X company where all the employees are unhappy. So if we're recruiting people, we're going to be recruiting from like-minded service industries where we know those employees are more likely matches.
1: Understood. Um, What what else, you know, what, what, what's next in advanced financial? What are some of the challenges that you have today? And what are the next things you're trying to accomplish with the culture? What's the next hurdle
2: for you? You know, last year was, or the past year still now, um, just a huge challenge. We had our first layoff ever. Um, we had gotten up to about 1,100 employees and we had to lay off half of our staff. Um, we were 24 hours in all 108 stores. And obviously due to all the lockdowns and everything, we couldn't be 24 hours anymore, but we were allowed to stay open. So we were very thankful that we were allowed to stay open and service our customers, but we ended up losing about 500 of our staff. It was very difficult, um, lots of tears, and it was hard to sustain the culture through that when um, we're used to seeing the store employees. My husband and I try to visit every store every year, and that just didn't happen at all last year, Um, and we have operations managers that each have five stores apiece. They spend one day in each store each week, so five stores, five days a week, a lot of District regional management teams um, have 16 or 17 places that they try to hit once a quarter. And we just believe that um, if your manager is there spending a whole day with you every week, it more than pays for itself. Those folks weren't able to get out to those stores. So it was very difficult to maintain. So, you know, that's the challenge now as Tennessee is reopening. And many of our counties um, are removing the mask mandates and crowd restrictions and all of that um, throughout the next month is bringing people back together, making sure people feel comfortable coming back together. We had tons of events. I mean, we had an events committee and event staff. I mean, we had so many events just every week, volunteer events and just, so getting that back going, um, restarting our foundation, getting back out into the communities in a way that makes people feel comfortable and safe but also um just relaxed. I mean people have just been so tense for so long. And so trying to get back to where we were is going to be a challenge.
1: I heard one of our guests the other day talking about this go back to work strategy and one thing they put out to their frontliners were look, you tell us what's one thing we can do to make the work experience better? What's one thing we can do to change, you know, advanced financials, day-to-day operations? That we're better. We can't come back being the same company we that we left. Mm -hmm. Do you think about that? Does that make sense? Are you guys thinking about the same type of strategies?
2: Well, you know, we are heavily retail. And so those folks never, they never missed a day. I mean, the you know, we put in some changes in their locations, um, some hand hand sanitizing stations going in and out and things like that, but they are um, behind a window, behind bulletproof glass between them and a customer. And so, and we were an essential business in Tennessee, so we never closed. So there's really, for them, the difference is that instead of having eight coworkers and managers and teams and events and all this, they went down to two coworkers or maybe three, and no travel, no events, no nothing. So it's not the work environment that's really changing for them. It's getting back to the company functioning the way we were.
1: Right, right. Yeah, well, that, that's great. Tina, you know anything else that, that you are excited about that you guys do that maybe we haven't had a chance to discuss today?
2: You know, I think that people um, generally down, or I don't know, not downplay, but like don't value enough the importance of people getting together outside work and saying, um, well, we did the heart walk and it was, you know, once a year and 300 people came, but then those 300 people never saw each other again. And so one of the things that's been so powerful for us over the past three or four years Um, is our volunteerism program is we pay for 40 hours of volunteerism for each employee every year. Some employees use all 40 hours by February. Some employees don't use it in the whole year. But it gives them a time that they know if they miss work, they're still going to get paid because we have 80 percent of our staff is hourly. Um, And so and that allows them to bond with each other outside work and they can bring their family. They can volunteer with other locations. It's a time for them to see people that they don't usually work with. And I think that that really makes a huge difference that people just don't realize that building your team outside of the office is so important. And it's, it's really helped us a lot.
1: Uh, I love paying for volunteer work. That's great. That's a new concept we haven't heard of. That's excellent. Well,
2: so how we came about that is the hard way. My employees are always teaching me things. Um, we started this volunteer program. We hired somebody to run it. No one was signing up and I couldn't figure it out. I was like, why is no one signing up? And finally, you know, some of my employees have been with us for 15 years and they just say, Tina, do you really want me to tell you the truth? I said, yes. They said, you're asking an hourly employee to be off work. So their paycheck's going to be less. They're not going to come over there. When they need the money, I was like, oh my gosh, why did I think of that? Because I'm salaried. I didn't think about it. I didn't think that if I take two hours off on a Wednesday, I'm not getting paid. So that year we instituted paying for volunteerism. And some people say, if you pay for volunteerism, it's not volunteerism. Well, I just think that's short-sighted because you're probably a salaried employee who can take off two hours and go to the food bank and still get paid. And I just think I didn't realize it, you know, and t- unless you constantly try to put yourself in the shoes of your employees and sometimes you you just miss it. And I just miss that. And I'm so glad Sonia was her name that told me that. And immediately when we started paying people, the volunteerism went through the roof.
1: That's incredible. That's yeah. great. Tina, look, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. It's been a great conversation. I love your energy and and your passion around the subject and and good luck in the sports betting world.
2: Ah, Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: For more information about Tina, please connect with her on LinkedIn. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or our upcoming book and masterclass, Scaling Culture, go to connollyowens.com. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.